my days as a beginning Bible student have faded into the mists of history, a period historians call the 1990s. But I do remember some key moments. I remember the first time I picked up a Bible translation other than the one I grew up with. I remember the first time I tried to use a commentary and frankly, did not get it. I remember as a high school student reading the study Bible my parents gave me. I remember the excitement uh, and the faith strengthening of confronting some kind of personal question and suddenly realizing that something Jesus said, something I read myself in my personal Bible time provided a direct answer. In this episode of the Bible Study Magazine podcast, I talked to Christian blogger and author Tim Challies about beginning Bible study. We get into recommended resources for you, Bible translations, study Bibles, commentaries, Bible software, etc. After that, I will chat about the interview with some of my friends here at Faith Life, makers of Logos Bible Software. We will give you some more recommended resources, some anecdotes that might encourage you to just do it. Study the Bible. The Bible Study Magazine podcast is brought to you by Bible Study Magazine, delivering tools and methods for Bible study from respected scholars and church leaders. Right now, start a free trial. Get six months of fresh insights on achieving greater Bible literacy. Visit BibleStudyMagazine.com slash trial today. Tim Challies, it's really great to have you on the Bible Study Magazine podcast. I have actually been reading your stuff for years, and I have to share with you the most brilliant line I remember from reading you over these years. Apple had just been hyping a big announcement. This is 2010. The iPad finally comes out, and you jokingly called it through your article title, The Greatest Disappointment in Human History. And I just burst out loud, and I've enjoyed that for years. However, I still have one. I'm holding one now. So I have to ask, what is your current opinion on the iPad? Then we'll get to Bible stuff. You had to be in here, didn't you? I now use an iPad exclusively for all my work. In fact, recording this podcast made me unlock my desktop computer for the first time in over two weeks. Oh my. Okay. Well, yeah, I thought that, uh, I wondered if that might not be the case. It's, it's grown on me too. I couldn't buy one initially. You know, I respected you and you call it a disappointment. Okay. We're, well, we're all wrong about something. And if that's the thing you're wrong about, that's actually pretty great. Yeah. It has developed very, very nicely between version one and version whatever is newest, it really has become a brilliant device. So I repent in dust and ashes. <laughs> Got it. Okay, well, that's all preface, uh, maybe unimportant to some of our listeners <laughs> for the Bible Study Magazine podcast. And I haven't even had you introduce yourself, but many people know who you are. Tim, go ahead and tell us who you are, what you do, and uh, t tell us about a little of the the resources you yourself have put out there for Bible study. Sure. Tim Challies, I'm a writer, author, blogger. I live just outside Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I'm an elder slash pastor at Grace Fellowship Church in Toronto. I've been writing on a near daily basis for, oh, I don't know, 10 or 15 years or something like that now. And I've written a number of books. Um, the first one I wrote was related to spiritual discernment. Since then, I've written on technology and I've written uh, a few books that are more visual, visual theology, so trying to present the truths of the Bible in visual form as well as in words, and a few others along the way. Yeah, and we were talking before we hit record about a project you used to do called Discerning Reader. I know I've relied on your book reviews over time, and you reviewed my book, Authorized, which I really appreciated and seemed to um, not dislike it, let's say. And um, you've been an ironic voice and... You were just telling me, too, that you have actually kind of pulled back in your mind and heart from, uh, I, I could, could I say it this way, um, the, the big shot status and really focused on your local church. And yet your writings still have uh, very much a place of usefulness for the broader church. And that's why I wanted to bring you on here. You're someone who... I think represents well and understands as uh, the world of people who are trying to gain and trying to promote biblical literacy, which is the theme of our season of the Bible Study Magazine podcast. Let, let me ask you a question that starts with an analogy. 
the woodworker shop. I'm thinking about getting into that myself. And the I know the beginning woodworker wants to start with the basic stool tools. Let me try that again. The beginning woodworker wants to start with the basic tools that will be foundational for him or her. But I know I'm tempted to buy all the expensive shiny stuff that I actually don't know how to use and that might actually retard my progress in the art of woodworking. So for the art of Bible study, let's draw this analogy. I want you to tell me what resources I need, generally speaking, and what I should avoid for now. And I'm going to break it down by categories. Let's start with Bible translations. If I want to gain biblical literacy or if I'm encouraging someone else to do so, which ones, which Bible translations should I use regularly? So let me start just by addressing the analogy, which I think is a good one. Let me just distinguish between uh, you know expensive, shiny stuff um, and I think good and necessary stuff. So I think there's this temptation as we start in something to buy junky tools uh, instead of buying good tools. I think there's a lot of value in buying the right tools and spending a little more to get the right ones, but then just make sure you're not buying the unnecessary ones. So spend a little more, get the good stuff, uh, whether that's in the woodworking shop or in Bible study, uh, but just make sure you're not loading up on all the stuff. Just buy things as you need them or acquire things as you need them. And the place to start, I think, is with a great Bible translation. And I would encourage people to begin with a Bible translation that is mostly literal. There's many different ways that different translators try to indicate that their translation is mostly literal. Uh, but I think that's the place to start. And then just to, as much as possible, ground yourself in one translation. I think there's a lot of joy, uh, a lot of value in just drowning yourself in one. So you begin to think like that translation. And I find my own mind in my own writing. I just sort of style my writing a lot after the ESV now. I've become so used to it. It's the book I've read most in all of life. I think I imitate the ESV, which I'm glad because it's a very beautiful, flowing translation. You, Your advice accords with my own that I've given that although I find many different translations to be useful for my Bible study, I do tend to use the more formal or some have called it literal translations as my baseline. And in my local church situation, the ESV happens to be our standard pulpit Bible, so it's easy to look to that. But I've had ministries in which, and maybe you've been similar, you know, you've written books, you've written articles for publications where the ESV may not be the only Bible used by the readership or maybe not the one used by the publication itself. And so you have to be aware of what other translations are saying. Uh, How about what uh, what should I look for in a study Bible? Yeah, we're, we're certainly blessed when it comes to study Bibles. We've got a lot of different ones we can turn to and be really well served. So uh, I think this is a luxury we have in the English world that we can be pretty picky, both when it comes to our Bible translation and when it comes to our study Bible. So I would work towards one that is in general theological alignment with you. Uh, so maybe try and work out some of its key, some of its positions on key issues. Um, But then hopefully one that also, uh, even while it takes a position on important issues, maybe helps you understand why they've taken that issue or what some of the other legitimate alternatives are. Some of the study Bibles that I've used over time include the ESV study Bible. And way back when, what I cut my teeth on was the King James Study Bible. I grew up in King James only circles, but actually the Study Bible served me well. I, I think it began somehow in the environs of Liberty, uh, now University, back then, like Baptist College or something. Um, and those Study Bible, that Study Bible in particular, I think it started to train me to know what questions to ask in Bible interpretation. And I didn't really understand the issues and debates, but it was an introduction for me. How about, without maybe naming names, could you tell me what kind of study Bible to avoid? Sure. Uh, in terms of ESV study Bible, I, I completely agree. It's a wonderful one. I don't think I ever used the King James study Bible. Reformation study Bible has been very important to me and um, 
from Zondervan. Is it the Biblical Theology Study Bible now? Yeah, Andy Nacelli worked on that. It, it was previously the NIV Zondervan Study Bible, I think, and they, that was kind of confusing because there's also an NIV Study Bible. Andy's a good friend of mine. I'm sure you've had contact with each other, and he put years of his life into that thing and said that may be the most important work he's ever done as far as actual reach into the lives of actual people. Sure. Yeah, it's a great one. So I think if you have one or two or three of those, it gives you a very good baseline. A study Bible is just a basic commentary. So very helpful in that way. Good guide to the Bible. In terms of study Bibles to avoid, I think the worst study Bibles are the ones often that are written for like an interest group. They're written for a specific kind of people, people who are uh, who loves a certain kind of hobby or live a certain kind of life. And I think almost by definition, then you're really prone to eisegeting instead of exegeting the text. You're trying to read people into the text. And I think that can be a real danger and a real waste of your time. I asked you to avoid naming names and you really expertly handled that. That's hard. It's hard not to give an example there, but I can think of them. I've seen them on the Christian bookstore shelves. And, you know, I'm for anybody who's trying to help others understand the Bible well, um, but I think you're exactly right. Those niche study Bibles seem to me uh, to be, shall I say, inferior to those that try to be more general because the the point is not looking for every application to, okay, let me just pick one, firefighters that the Bible has, um, but looking for what it says to the entire church, which is something the ESV study Bible and the other ones that you've mentioned do. You said that you'd look for a study Bible that accords with your denominational tradition. And, you know, we don't, I don't know quite who's listening to the Bible Study Magazine podcast, but it, I'm sure, goes beyond the tradition that you and I are generally in. And I think we're probably in a similar spot. Um, I have heard, so this is kind of a little bit of a rabbit trail. I, I read Moises Silva say years ago, that, okay, you've got your covenant theolo- uh, covenant theologians and your dispensationalists, and often we talk as if we should try to read the Bible you know, without presuppositions, like we're coming to it entirely fresh. And I remember thinking as a kid, that would be really wonderful if I could be on a desert island and encounter the Bible for the first time without anybody telling me what anything meant, then I could get it all straight and my, you know, my mind would not be confused by false views that I'd heard. But Silva said, no, you can't do that. And it's impossible to put aside presuppositions. So you might as well be self-conscious about it and keep testing your presuppositions against what the Bible text actually says. So given that there might be people out there in different, let's keep it evangelical, but evangelical uh, denominational traditions. You know, you got your Methodists and your Presbyterians and your Baptists. Would you still encourage people, generally speaking, to pick a study Bible that accords with their tradition? Yeah. And I think as people read it, they'll firm up in what their position is, or they'll start to ask questions. So I'm assuming the basis of the question here is you have a study Bible. You're just buying your first one. You've got new Bible software. You're looking for that one study Bible or you're a new Christian, you're looking for it, which one should you get? Get one that's trusted within the tradition. If you're going to a Reformed Baptist church, get one of those study Bibles we talked about before. After that, as you grow in your ability to study the Bible, you should get some that may contradict your points, your viewpoints, um, may address your assumptions in a helpful way. So that can be really useful too. There is beauty in uh, other traditions, or there's often beauty in other traditions, and we do well to look for it and acknowledge it. Yeah, one of the implicit assumptions that was just in the air in my childhood churches seemed to be that our tradition was the be-all and the end-all, and others were highly suspect. And although still to this day, yes, I disagree with other Christians on numerous issues, I have seen that other Christian denominations and traditions, as long as they're holding to the gospel, holding to the Bible, have valuable things to tell me. And yet, I can't receive those things very well until I'm grounded in my own tradition. So I'm not confused. I'm able to come from a place of stability to examine other people's claims. I think what you're saying is totally right. So let's shift though to Bible dictionaries. I think that's probably less denominationally specific. Where should I start with that? What should I look for if I'm going for biblical literacy? Well, I'll just tell you where I started or where I, the one I use most, which is I think now the Baker Compact Dictionary of Theological Terms by Greg Allison. I find that really helpful. I think he does a good job of breaking down terms 
outside of a theological tradition. So again, his biases are showing, of course they are. Uh, none of us is completely impartial, but I think he does a good job of simply explaining the terms in a way that's pretty relatable, uh, pretty broadly evangelical. And beyond that, I really appreciate the new dictionary theology by J.I. Packer, Sinclair Ferguson, etc. So I think there's some very, very good resources there that are extremely helpful in, in terms of defining theological terms or biblical. Now, we've talked about the very basics for studying your Bible. Um, we've left out so far, though it's been, I suppose, implicit, the church. And of course, you've got a pastor, uh, perhaps elders who are guiding you, and maybe you're in some sort of discipleship group. But we've talked about Bible translations and then moved on a little bit to a study Bible. We talked about a Bible dictionary. Um, are there any other categories of Bible reference or study materials that you would consider essential for gaining biblical literacy? I suppose it would just be reading widely. So as we studying the Bible is crucial and important, but one of the ways we really learn to do that is by reading good Christian books. So we get to see how other people interpret the Bible. So it's great to study Isaiah 6 and to use your tools to put them into practice studying it. But if you read The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul, you'll see this model, this example of how to understand the text, how to interpret it, how to apply, how to apply it. So that's not quite reference material, but I think it takes the place of it and really teaches us well, just like listening to sermons. That's hopefully if you're listening to expositional preaching, you're not just hearing preaching, but you're also learning how to interpret and apply the Bible. I was in a church with a really expert expositional preacher for 18 years. And I remember as a freshman in college, this is the first church I ever chose personally. And I would sit literally, in the literal sense of literal, on the edge of my seat, at hearing him expound Ephesians and being disappointed when it was over and taking voluminous notes. And you're exactly right, and I heard many other people say this, that that kind of preaching taught me how to read my Bible because we were looking you know, very closely at that text. You referred to the um, category of study Bibles as really like a mini commentary. So if somebody says, you know, I've, I've sort of plumbed the depths of my mini commentaries here. I've got my one or two or three study Bibles that I've enjoyed, but I'm regularly now coming into questions that they're just not addressing because there just isn't space. Where do you go next in commentary literature? Sure. So there's different, well, to be clear, commentary is just providing comments on scripture. So it's meant to lead you through either section by section or verse by verse through a particular book of the Bible. And they range from one person writing a commentary on the entire Bible, right down to experts writing commentaries on very small portions of the Bible. And they range from general readership all the way to extremely hardcore academic works. And so I think the place most people ought to start is with a with commentaries for books you're studying or have a particular interest in that are either very written for a general audience or that are based on sermons. And so the Reformed Expository Commentary set is a very good sermonic series. So they're just sermons that have been edited and then uh, turned into a commentary. So they make very good reading. Uh, they have the application built right in because they're sermons. And they demonstrate how one preacher has not just understood it, but also how he has preached it. Uh, and then, of course, just general lay-level commentaries are very helpful as well. So I, you make me think of Lloyd-Jones on Romans and Ephesians. Those are very readable. Uh, also on the Sermon on the Mount, MacArthur, of course, is well known for having, I think by now, completed the entire New Testament over the course of his long ministry. Um, any others that come to mind that are appropriate for lay level, someone just getting into, you know, maybe just one step beyond study Bibles? Yeah, there's the uh, the Pillar series is probably a little bit advanced, uh, but it's brilliant and I think still readable. Uh, one of the big things you'll notice is that some uh, commentaries have the Greek words in Greek or the Hebrew words in Hebrew. Other transliterate them or comment on the English text. So, if you're starting out, you probably want a commentary that comments on the English, not the original Greek. Otherwise, you can get really wrapped up in the Greek terms and uh, just get easily lost. So yeah, I think there's a, a great series by Christian Focus. The title escapes me now, but uh, they've covered most of the Old and New Testament now and uh, very readable, 
very helpful. I mean, honestly, we're so blessed. The Baker series is fantastic. We've got so many to draw upon. Is that focus, uh, Christian focus set, the one that Dale Ralph Davis writes a number of the Old Testament commentaries in? Yes. And why can't I think of it either? Yeah. Yes, I've seen that one, and he is really particularly gifted and personable. I think here we, here it is, the Focus on the Bible series. Um, let me just toss another one or two out there. One of the first ser- series that I bought was the Tyndall New Testament Commentary Series and the Tyndall Old Testament Commentary Series, and they keep that updated. So you can get some of the older volumes that are still valuable and the newer ones. One of my favorites is Derek Kidner because he's got this great blend of you know, exegetical comment on the Hebrew in Psalms and Proverbs, but this real eloquence and ability to write with brevity and depth and um, memorable turns of phrase. There's also just a uh, an evangelical piety in there that I really, really appreciate. Um, then there's the, oh boy, now I was just talking about, okay, the Bible Speaks Today series. John Stott has written a number of those. It's also sermonic generally, but, you know, taking an extra bit of depth and of uh, breadth beyond what a study Bible will do. I mean, there are just so many resources out there. Let me just ask you, and it's really okay if you don't use Logos for your commentaries, but do you? What? How do you access your commentaries? Paper or Logos or what? 100% Logos. So I um, actually recently got rid of or sold off all my commentaries for sake of space. We have a very small house and it was too full. And so I traded in the paper for pixels. And really, I'm not at all regretted it. I really, really enjoy it. And as someone who travels a lot, there sure is joy in having my entire uh, collection available to me at all times, wherever I go. And I find that when I had paper commentaries, I might check two. But now that I have them in Logos, I'll check six. And I might not read every bit of comment that they all make, but I'm getting a, a broader range of opinion. And sometimes that doesn't mean I'm getting six different opinions. It means I'm getting the same opinion six times and that confirms me. And okay, yes, I'm, you know, what the text, I thought it was saying, it it is actually saying, everybody's, you know, confirming this. Um, Or if there's something that's controversial, sometimes I will check dozens, you know, just real quick. Did did Jephthah actually sacrifice his daughter? I want to see 65 commentaries in Logos, go. And I'll take the stats. And I find that both interesting and helpful. Tim Challies has been to the offices of Faith Life and Logos Bible Software. I got to meet him there once, though he probably doesn't remember me. And we chatted like Bible nerds will do about Bible study tools. The main one we both love and use, both of us on our tablets, is Logos Bible Software. Tim has written several articles on his blog about Logos over the years, and I went and looked at one recently. I heartily agree with his advice, and I will quote some of it here. He says, Logos alone will not change your heart or give you a new desire to read and apply God's word. It is a useful aid in Bible study, but is very unlikely to be the key that unlocks new spiritual depths. While it is certainly useful for any Christian, the greatest value is for those who have to do the greatest amount of Bible study and who can purchase the greatest number of resources for it. At the very least, give it a good test drive before making the financial investment. Now, this is me talking again. Logos may not make you a Bible student, though it might. I've met at least one pastor who managed to graduate from Bible college without ever touching a systematic theology, don't ask me how, who then got Logos as a gift and became a dedicated reader of good books through Logos and a better shepherd as a result. But even he had the heart before he had the tools. You should seek the same. But if you have that heart, you will want and need books. And there are so many good ones available within Logos. The best way to get them is usually to buy a base package. I did that twice before I ever thought I would come to work for the company. And I added other books and journals and commentaries besides, and I still buy books in Logos to this day. Tim and I both recommend Logos as a regular, dedicated user of the platform, each of us. Uh, we might even call ourselves addicts. Go to logos.com forward slash basic to get the free version or listen later in this podcast for a special offer for Bible Study Magazine podcast listeners on Logos Fundamentals.
So we're, we're getting more advanced here, and that's totally fine. We're just trying to tell people that Bible study, like any field, can get more and more specialized. And one thing that's really neat is you talked about how commentaries, even somewhat more technical ones, will sometimes still transliterate Greek and Hebrew words. And why are they doing this? Well, it's the basically Protestant value of sola scriptura and the perspicuity, the clarity of scripture. We're actually expecting people without specialized training, but who've just listened hard in church and read their Bibles well for years, like my father-in-law, who's an engineer, saved as an adult, but has diligently studied his Bible all these years. When I sold off my paper set of the NICOT uh, New International Commentary in the Old Testament and New Testament, guess who bought it? It was my father-in-law, so I could get it in Lagos. Um, those commentaries are out there for the use of the church, not just the pastors and the scholars and the other specialists. Do you agree? Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. And I think when it very practically, when it comes to buying commentaries, it is a significant financial investment. Uh, sometimes you can find them used you might get lucky in a used bookstore or on eBay or something. There's a lot of competition for them, so the prices often aren't as low as it might be for a Tom Clancy novel or something, you know, proportional. Um, but you can find them on sale. But I think uh, instead of buying complete sets, it's usually better to just start building a library based on the books you're studying or have a particular interest in. I think it's better, rather than having one commentary on every book of the Bible, I think it's better to have three or four commentaries on that book of the Bible you, you really want to know or to teach well. And so doing that research, finding out what commentaries are best, and really stocking up on those. And if you never, at the end of your life, you never have a commentary on Second Kings, you'll probably be okay. How do you find out which commentary you should get? You can't read it in advance before you buy it. What do you do? Right. Well, I built out a list where I took the research of people or the, the writing of people who are commentary specialists like D.A. Carson, Keith Matheson, people like that, and tried to collate that data and put that on my website for each book of the Bible. Uh, there's several websites you can look at. And even Amazon ratings, you got to be careful with Amazon ratings, but uh, you can go there and at least get an overview, read a few of the one-star and five-star reviews and see what people are saying and uh, whether the people who hate it are the really good people or the people who are just crazy. And same with a five-star, and then make your judgment. Or ask your pastor, of course. Bestcommentaries.com is a place I go to. Yep. Yeah, I really enjoy those. And it marks those commentaries as devotional, technical, pastoral, you know, sermonic, that kind of thing. And as long as you're paying attention to what kind of commentary you're getting, you can do really well. And I will put in another little plug for Logos. If you are fairly confident that you're going to be using this commentary set for years, although you're totally right, Tim, you know, start with the one book you're studying, John or Romans or First Kings or whatever. Um, but if you know you're going to be doing this, like, and you have the money, go ahead and buy a set. That is the most economical way to get good commentaries. And then over the course, possibly of decades, you know, you never know which ones you're going to end up digging into. Now, we do have to talk about Bible software because one of the reasons I'm here at this company is that I found that people were pretty perpetually confused about what to do, kind of overwhelmed by the options. And still to this day, even though our dear departed friend BibleWorks is no longer with us, uh, there are many options out there. Which Bible software should a beginning Bible student get, somebody who wants to be biblically literate? Well, I can only answer it personally. I've not put a ton of time into examining the different packages and comparing them to one another. I got into the Lagos ecosystem quite a long time ago and I just always stayed there. I've looked briefly at other things, but as far as I'm concerned, it's world-class software and uh, having visited the offices and met the team and spent time with them, I, I, I came to believe in it even more and uh, believe in the future of it. I, I think the one thing that always intimidates us when we buy software is the fact that it may just one day disappear as by works and others, they, they were here and then they're gone. And for a while they'll work, but inevitably they'll, the software will grow old and no longer work. And what of your investment? And I think um, Logos is one of those companies I believe is strong enough that uh, it, it will last and therefore the investment will be safe. Uh, but then again, I'm also the guy who got the iPad. <laughs> right. No, I think you're. I think you're right. And human, you know, nobody knows the future. Nobody knows the future of Logos. But actually, I take one measure just so people understand uh, uh, the point you're making. One measure of the 
the likelihood that you're going to have your Logos books in 10 or 20 or even 30 years is a site like comparably.com where all the Faith Life employees along with employees from tons of other companies will rate their own company. And one of the questions that they ask there, and I think Glassdoor may do something like this too, is, you know, what what's your um, basic outlook for the future? Do you think the company is strong? And Faith Life employees consistently say, yes, we think it's strong. Um, this is a business and not a ministry. And so, and one of the reasons it is, we don't give this stuff away, we sell it, is that we want to pump that money that we make back into making good stuff. So every release of Logos Bible software brings new features. For example, here's one for beginners. I don't know if you've taken a look at this yet, Tim, but the workflows feature is actually extremely powerful and useful for people who want to gain biblical literacy. Because I, I find, and I remember being this person, people will open their Bibles and they'll read Haggai and they'll say, okay, now what? Like, what am I supposed to do with this? I didn't really get anything out of that. I don't really understand all this. Where do I go? And they need step-by-step instructions and little blanks to fill in. And that's what the workflows tool does. Have you seen it? Uh, a little bit. I haven't played with it much. And it's okay because you're more advanced. You may not need all those <laughs> workflows. You know, there might be some that you would get some more use out of than others. Um, they're not all just for beginners, but yeah, take a look at those. Yeah, and I think uh, part of the beauty of Lagos is you can use it at 5% of its total capability as essentially just a library that you can search through. And even that is very powerful and I think best in class. I'm not just saying that to be flattering, but I think it's, it's brilliant to that purpose. So even if you don't dive deep into the advanced the advanced feature set, I still really think there's good value there for anyone who wants to get serious about their Bible study. And I've always felt like I'm I'm using it at a very low capacity, but I'm still very happy with what I get out of it, what, how it serves me. That's an important point. You know, there are so many powerful tools in Logos. And sometimes people tell me, oh, and I'm, I feel so bad. I only use 5% of them. And I, I wrote a post one time saying, you know, don't feel guilty. If that 5% is really helping you, then great. I, that that's true for me. And I'm supposedly a pro. Um, I don't use the text transliteration tool every day. It's probably three times a year max. And if you never use it, fine, you're, you're still getting those commentaries, those books, the searching, the Bible searching, the access to the Greek and Hebrew. Well, we can stop um, promoting Logos Bible software. This isn't a sales podcast, but I like talking about it because I actually think it will help people in their biblical literacy. But let's move on to some theology books. Because you talked about application of the Bible, and you're finding that in sermons, uh, commentaries that come from sermons, like the Reformed Expository Commentary, like John MacArthur, David Martin Lloyd-Jones, etc. But there's another kind of application that we also need, and that is theology, answering the big questions of life, some of the hot topics, for example, that are going on right now. What theology books should I be looking for? You know, in general categories, and certainly if you want to name specific ones, that's fine too. What theology books do I need to get started in Bible study? I don't know that you need any, but I think it would be wise to have a systematic theology or two. Uh, again, starting with something that's fairly closely aligned with your theological perspectives and uh, can help you answer some of those big questions. Uh, systematic theology, of course, is offering very systematic approach to Christian doctrine, Christian theology, and can be a very good guide. And then I think there's value in having a couple of them because then you can often find out what points are disputed. So if you have uh, Grudem and you have MacArthur and you're reading both of those, you'll find where there's deep agreement between them. You'll find where there's lack of agreement between them. And that can be very helpful as you start to sort out what Christians agree on, what they don't, and how you should think about them. Uh, beyond that, and we've already talked about Bible dictionaries, which I think are very helpful. Um, I, I think Old Testament, New Testament overviews can be crucial. Understanding the big picture of the Bible and then understanding the big picture of the Old Testament, big picture of the New Testament, and then the big picture of each one of the books. So that gives you this sort of 30,000 foot view of the Bible. You're way up above it, looking down and saying, what is the sweep of scripture? What is the great story it's telling? Okay, now what is this book telling me broadly? And now I can read and study the book verse by verse and line by line. The ESV Study Bible also contains introductions and many 
Bible uh, study Bibles do to individual books that'll help you relate them to the overall storyline. And that actually anticipates one of the questions I wanted to ask you. You know, my biggest leap myself in understanding my Bible probably came, you know, the single greatest jump when I was taught and it, it didn't, it took a while to dawn on me. And this is 20 years into my Christian education. I was taught that the Bible tells one story and therefore all these individual Old Testament stories that I had heard sort of presented in silos actually related to this overall story. I wonder what tools, whether conceptual ones or physical ones, helped you most as a uh, beginning or maybe intermediate Bible student? I think a lot of it was just hearing people repeat that refrain again and again. Uh, but I think more than, really more than anything, was hearing preaching. So I, I, I used some tools and read some of the books about it. And usually, I think it was mostly some of the introductory type books. Um, but really, I think the most important thing was to listen to sound preaching, where the preacher is not living only in his text, though when you're preaching a sermon, please stick to your text. But he's also showing how that text relates to the rest of Scripture and to the overall drama of Scripture. And so uh, that gives us a better sense of the unity of Scripture. Once we understand Scripture is unified, that there's pointers in the Old Testament pointing forward to the New, there's pointers in the Old in the New Testament pointing back to the Old. As we come to understand that, we have to grapple with the fact that, hold on, there's something big going on here. This isn't just a series of fortune cookies or a series of proverbs or isolated books. There's something going on here that's leading from something to something and provides an overall narrative. Now, I do pastoral work in my own church. I'm not the senior pastor, but I'm teaching regularly. I am working with people individually and counseling and other matters. And I, we've got people from really all walks of life. I wonder, you in your pastoral work, have you watch someone go from zero to 60 in Bible study? Have you actually seen someone take the steps that we're talking about, who isn't a blogger, who isn't supposed to know this stuff, just a regular person in church working in a secular job, trying to serve the Lord and follow him? Have you seen this happen? Is that zero to 60 miles or kilometers? <laughs> yeah, boy, I, let's say zero to 100 to translate okay. it for you. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I've seen that. And I, I think I've seen people just fall in love with understanding the Bible. They just come to love that feeling of getting what the Bible is teaching them. And so as Christians, we quickly teach you ought to be reading your Bible, and people do, and people benefit from it. But there's something about just really understanding what the Bible is speaking to you and how to understand it well. And something we've done in our church is train people in just the basics of observation, interpretation, application. And the way I tend to teach that is to take something like Psalm 19 as a favorite and just put it on a piece of paper with no verses, no markings, nothing. Just hand it to people and help them go through it. Look for repeating words, look for repeating phrases, start to interpret what he means by those things and then work toward application to your own life. And helping people understand you need to observe before you can interpret and you need to interpret before you can apply rightly, I think is tremendously helpful for people. And then they start to put that into their own Bible study. They start to look at commentaries, not first, but after they've done their observation. And that really, I think, brings life to their study. One of the things that heartens me most about church ministry is to run into people who maybe didn't even uh, go on past high school into college. Um, and I say, and yet, as if you wouldn't expect this, but they, they become careful Bible students. And when I ask questions in Sunday school that require a knowledge of scripture, their hand shoots up and they get the right answer every time. And that seems to me to underscore the importance of what we're talking about and the value. I want to see people who aren't professionals, just lay Christians who are using their Bibles to live holy lives, to meet the challenges that come to them in their own lives, in their children's lives, in their spouses' lives. And Romans says that you're able to admonish one another. They're able to do that. I have seen that. So have you. Praise the Lord for that. And thank you, Tim Challies, for coming on the Bible Study Magazine podcast. Before we leave, 
tell us how people can follow your writing ministry. Sure. Yeah, it's been a joy to be here. People can follow my writing ministry by visiting chalice.com, C-H-A-L-L-I-E-S.com, or just following Chalice on Twitter or Facebook. You'll find me there. Fantastic. Thanks again for coming on the Bible Study Magazine podcast. Thank you. We've got some Faith Life friends here in the studio to talk about what we just heard and to give some more wisdom, hopefully, and uh, in encouragement for beginning Bible students and for those who are helping beginning Bible students. I've got uh, an editor friend, Abby. Tell us briefly what you do. So I'm an editor at Luxem Press, which is the um, which is Faith Life's publishing publishing house, publishing ministry. And David Bomar, tell us what you do. I am the editor of Bible Study Magazine. And then along with that, I work on a couple other magazines that Faith Life publishes. We do um, a journal for seminary professors called Didacticas. And then we also publish Ministry Team Magazine. So I work on all three of those. And if anyone is familiar with those magazines, uh, which have tons of good content, you might assume that there's a whole army of people who do them. Essentially, I would say there's kind of like three. It's incredible to me what they managed to do with that small team. Uh, and David leads it. Thank you, David. Now, my friend Adam Boris, we used to be Logos Pros together, but tell us what you do now, Adam. Uh, these days, I am the product manager for the software development team for the Logos Bible Software desktop app. And all three people, I think I can safely say here, presume this because I know you well enough. You're at this company because you actually care about the stuff that we're talking about in the podcast today. You are churchgoers, you have studied the Bible, and you want to help others do it too. So I, um, before I get to some questions to you all, we just listened together to the Charlie's interview. And I just feel like I have to say, give a disclaimer. I want listeners to know that I passed no money under the table to Tim Charlie's to say such nice things about our company's products. I don't even have any Canadian money. So, you know, I couldn't do that anyway. Um, now onto the questions. I, uh, friends here, I want to bias our discussion toward naming names of specific resources. So I just want to put that out there. Feel very free to do that. Um, and, and let me ask you to start with kind of a negative. This is going to be hard. We don't want to be critical, but did any of you buy any what uh, Tim Challey's called, quote, junky, unnecessary tools when you were starting out in Bible study. I don't want to put anybody down, but I also want to save our listeners from putting money into things that aren't really going to help them. Has anybody got some examples? Well, this isn't necessarily um, an example of a junky tool, I guess, but this is not This is something I didn't realize early on in my Bible study that has made a big difference over time. Um I didn't, and this seems silly now in retrospect, but I didn't realize there were different kinds of study Bibles. Okay. So even beyond like what you guys were saying about the Bible for firefighters or whatever, right? Like, um, they're very different kinds of more general study Bibles. And so I started out, my first study Bible was more of a devotional, um, kind of application focused study Bible, or I guess I also had like the teen study Bible when I was in high school. Right. And, um, and I think I thought that the fact that I was struggling to connect with this study Bible meant that I just didn't connect with study Bibles, but it turned out that I wanted one that was explaining the Greek and Hebrew more. That was a little bit more of an intellectual bent just because that's the mind I have. and <laughs> That's what I wanted when I was studying scripture, which isn't necessarily a good or a bad. I think the study Bible I had was a very good one, um, but I just wanted something I wanted the study Bible to be t telling me something different yeah. and teaching me something different. And um, so that's that's something I would encourage people to think about. Like, what are you trying to learn in your uh, studying? Yeah, for me, I, I can't remember the name of it, but my parents gave me a study Bible when I was a teenager. And it was very, um, I guess, stale. And, I mean, it was... It was Paul here is saying the thing that he just said, you know, it was just, he would just restate whatever was in the, and, and it didn't really inform or, or add any uh, background information or color to, to the text itself. And I, I, yeah, I would say that was a lower quality resource in that sense. So it's almost like if you're the kind of person who's actually bothering to go buy a study Bible and look for one, if you've actually stumbled onto this podcast and listen to it on purpose this far, um, go ahead and look for something that's going to give you some challenge to, you know, work up to. And you guys both did a good job of not naming names. So we don't have to criticize <laughs> anybody in particular. I'll do the same thing. I picked up an older commentary series 
and it was, you know, bound so nicely, but it was from the 19th century and nothing wrong with that. I think C.S. Lewis said we shouldn't be chronological snobs who disdain what people in the past said is definitely true, but there was a reason that the entire six volume set was only $21. And I discovered over time, I just didn't, it wasn't answering the questions that I was asking. Uh, and I basically had the same experience you guys did. How would you say that differs that has differed for you, like finding a commentary that answers the questions you're asking versus um, like eisegeting into, you know, just finding something that's reading the same questions in. That is a great question, Abigail, um, temporary host of the Bible Study Magazine <laughs> podcast. I would say that it's really similar to what you just said, that if my real interest is first, what does this say? <laughs> Rather than what can I say about this? Or or even what does this say to me? That those are really important questions, but they're secondary. As long as my first question is, what does this say? I'm just going to start leaning towards certain kinds of commenting. Um, and that doesn't mean I'm going to avoid the homiletical commentaries, the sermonic ones, because a lot of them are focused on what does this say, but that's what I found in study Bibles and in commentaries. So they, I was, I did gravitate toward the ones that were more likely to mention the original languages, even if it was put on the level that was appropriate for me, you know, before I started into that. And I would get frustrated over time with the ones you're trying to skip right to application because I, I felt that somehow illegitimate. Like I, I can't apply this until I understand it. Mm -hmm. I would like to hear more about um, resources that you have used. Can we just toss out some names of study Bibles? They don't have to be available in Logos and they don't have to come from uh, the same tradition that other people are in. We've got people here who come from different evangelical type traditions. Name some names. Yeah, I've enjoyed the HarperCollins study Bible, which um, I haven't I haven't dug a ton into what's the theological kind of maybe bent. agenda bent that they have. Yeah. Um, but I have found the historical context and the original languages to be um, valuable. And I had a professor recommend it to me. So, so there too, it was like, okay, here's this, um, this kind of broader community that is recommending it to me. So. Yeah. Helpful. Anybody else? Well, I feel like this is cheating, but the one that I use the most uh, in church every Sunday is the Faith Life Study Bible. And not just because I work at Faith Life, but because I actually find it helpful. It's very observational. It uh, it does the things that I said that that other study Bible did, doesn't do. Um, it uh, it kind of fills in some of the historical background and it uh, it kind of points out what, what the theological point is or how it connects to a previous chapter or something like that. Yeah, one of the best things about the Faith Life one is it works with a lot of different translations as well. Um, you're not able to, you know, you don't just have to read, you know, whatever version of the Bible is with your study notes because you can kind of set it to work with any kind of Bible or any kind of Bible version that you've got. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And boy, I feel like, again, just, I have to say, I'm not paying anybody to say all this stuff. <laughs> we make these materials because we care about advancing this the theme of the Bible Study Magazine podcast this season, which is biblical literacy. And so it's natural for us to be promoting these products. Well, let's promote some more. And again, they don't have to be Logos. How about Bible dictionaries? Oh, do I have well, one more study Bible ask, comment? You know, one that looks really interesting to me that I haven't had the opportunity to check out is, I, I think it's called the NIV Cultural Backgrounds Commentary or something mm -hmm. like that. Anybody familiar with that I, one? I haven't checked it out yet. Either. Okay. No. Seen it. But I haven't. Okay. Yeah. There's the Zondervan Bible backgrounds commentary, I think. But you're talking about a study Bible. It, particularly a study Bible. Yeah, maybe yeah. I have seen that. And there, there's an archaeological study Bible. That maybe gets into a little bit of the niche that um, Charlie's was warning against, but it's not the same niche. It's not a person niche. Mm -hmm. It's it's an interest area niche, which I do see as different. And that's that that's a niche that I have a lot of weakness in, archaeology. Well, I just think it's interesting that people format information like that as a study Bible. Like I've also seen commentaries. Lexham is working on a commentary series right now that the is all about the commentary. Yeah. The geographic commentary series. Um, we're just about to come out with the uh, volume on acts through revelation and already have the volume on the gospels out. And so that also walks through different Bible passages, like a traditional commentary would um, and unpacks the archeology span and the geographic uh, context of those different passages. So I think it's interesting then that, I don't know. To me, there's there's so much more that the Bible touches on. So to format that kind of information as a study Bible feels a little too 
much of a niche to me, but but the market that's my hasn't personal felt preference. that way. They've yeah. really loved the geographic commentary and the, the, with the study Bible, yeah. right? So, so like, I I'm saying like you. a study Bible would be that's that's such a specific kind of set of notes to include yes. versus yeah, like the Faith Life Study Bible kind of draws on a lot of a broader. So I wanted to ask about the niche thing. Um, do you think like how much of a niche is too much of a niche? Like um, you mentioned the teen study Bible. Is is that general enough to count as being a quality study Bible or study Bible for, for women? Or, I mean, there's a lot of ones that are fairly broad. At age 12, I was given the redheaded study Bible. <laughs> My parents thought I'd be interested and initially I was. Did you find a lot of application verses for yes, specifically? Well, uh, they really Living your things. redheaded light. Yeah, they, they, it calls, you know, in the King James, it calls David a ready youth. Mm. Just sort of like red, but I don't know that. I thought that was really a stretch to have such a long section on that. No, I just made all that up. Um, I did see, and I won't name names, there was a um, a study Bible New Testament for teen girls that was made to look like a teen magazine. Mm -hmm. It just so happens that I happen to know our CEO disagrees with me on this, and he's probably right. He thought that if it gets people to read the Bible, well, why be so critical? He has a good point there. But I felt like the um, by making it so niche, and putting it um, in a different medium, that actually the medium is the message, and it gave a message about the New Testament that I thought was maybe misleading and possibly wrong, but I am possibly wrong too. So there's my input. Anybody else I have had an answer one of to those question? Did you? Is that the one yes. you were talking about? <laughs> no, I. Well, earlier I was thinking of more that one that was like an adventure Bible and was trying to show us how the Bible is an adventure guide yeah, or for the life. Comic book Bibles now. Yeah. Um, now those yeah. are cool. Those, I feel like those are doing something different and maybe that's, you know, misguided, but. No, I tend to agree with that. I, I actually have three copies of that uh, comic book Bible because my mother has contributed them to me. Does and anybody have the Lego Bible? Lego? No. There's one that's wow. like, I don't know if they've done the whole Bible yet, but they've like acted out the different Bible stories with like Lego figures. I guess it makes the book of Judges like a lot more palatable because it's like <laughs> not real people being portrayed, but I don't know. <laughs> Let's move on from study Bibles. But now, Adam, you just, it looks like you have something interesting to say. Okay. Well, we, we talked about study Bibles, but I feel like we kind of skipped over the very basic tool, which is a Bible translation. And, and something we that uh, you didn't really talk about with Tim very much is how do you choose a translation? Now, that could be a whole podcast by itself. It is. And we do have a an episode about that. Um, I don't know whether it's coming up or it's already come in the season where we talk with Vern Poitras and a round table. But let's get some brief thoughts on that. What translation did you all start with? I started with an NIV just because that's the Bible that my parents gave me and um, that's kind of what was preferred in our church. And so, um, that's the one I ended up reading a lot. And, um, I think the more that I got into, um, biblical studies and especially got into seminary and all that, I wanted a, a translation that was a bit more formal, um, and ended up leaning more toward the NRSV, uh, the new revised standard version. Well, and what you're hitting on here is that different translations, are appropriately useful for different circumstances. And right. I, I think that path you traveled is excellent. You know, you start with one that is maybe a little more interpretive, a little easier to read. And then as you advance, you may want to go for a more formal one. But I let me just guess here, David, about what you did not do. And that is when you picked up the NRSV, you threw away your NIV forever. No, and no, never no, 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 no. I still have it, actually, the same one that my parents gave me. So. And you are still able to use it because it provides yeah. a valuable angle on what the Bible's message is. Yeah, absolutely. And and being able to compare different translations is really important. And and being able to see um, how different translators have um, seen different things in the Greek and Hebrew. So a lot of people are, I think, paralyzed by the fear that they will pick the wrong one. They won't get the best one. So they do this research, which is the best one. And then you land into internet controversy land. And I would like to suggest to listeners that they bypass that particular internet controversy. It's always good when you can do that by asking a different question, not which one is the best one, most accurate, because they're all good. Like all the ones that you can buy in a Christian bookstore shelf, they have something valuable to give you. And why can't you use more than one? In Logos Bible software, you can use tons, even on your phone, tons. And even on your shelf, you can get more than one. They're not that expensive. NIV, NRSV, what are some other translations you all have used? Uh, the ESV I've used. Um, I grew up on the NIV as well. 
and then kind of found other ones later. Uh, lately, I've really been enjoying the CEB, hmm. the Common English Bible. Okay. Um, the, we were comparing some translations um, in church, even just this last Sunday, we were looking at a passage in James um, where James is talking about, um, you know, the nature of what true religion is. And um, most translations use the word religion there. The CEB, we found, uses the word devotion. And I, I kind of liked how it, it took it out of the realm of like, you know. Formal systems. Yeah, formal systems or human organizations and things like that. And it was more about just devotion to God, which I think captures more of what James is talking about in that passage. And and so I just kind of like um, some of the places where it gives you a little bit different flavor than you find in a lot of other translations. And when you are familiar with one and use that as your baseline, whatever it is that you're handed, then when you come across another translation, you'll start to notice where they diverge. Right. And every time that happens, you can ask yourself the very healthy question, why? What's going on here? And commentaries and study Bibles will often help you out. Smart people who are gifted did these translations, and they had some reason for what they did. It isn't willy-nilly. They are looking at something. They're seeing something in the Greek or Hebrew that another translation may not have brought out. And so they all complement one another. I do want to move on because we do have a whole episode on this podcast, but basically our answer is look at a bunch. Why yeah, not? We have absolutely. an embarrassment of riches. So let's talk real quick, just kind of tick off some of the different categories of resources for beginning Bible students. What Bible dictionaries have you used? What would you recommend? Well, I worked with Lex, you know, as part of my work at Lexham, I worked pretty extensively in the Lexham Bible Dictionary. Um, so I've spent a lot of time with that one. Yep. Me as David well. David was there. Yeah. What does it do for you? I, I can answer that. As a, as a reader of the Lexham Bible Dictionary, I, I didn't have any part in helping to put it together like you guys did. But uh, what I really appreciate about the design of it is that it gives you the most relevant information in the first paragraph. So yeah. if I just want a quick summary of what is a thing in the Bible, I can just read that first paragraph. And if I want to go deeper, I, that there's usually a few pages to read about it. And references to other resources you can look up. And I think one reason we did it that way is because um, – the LBD is designed as a digital first resource. So some of the articles are way longer than you would find in print first Bible dictionaries, just because we didn't have a space constraint. Um, so I think that was part of the reason yeah. for having that summary paragraph right up front is because it was like, okay, here's the most important thing. And then here's all this other information as much as the author wanted to include. So the Lexham survey of theology is the same. There's a nice little, very carefully wrought definition of whatever it is, peccability of Christ or, you know, uh, the final judgment or ecclesiology or any sort of um, systematic theological topic. And that also actually would be a useful tool for beginning Bible study. So name, um, I said, we tick them off. Let's keep going to something else. Name some commentaries that are one step up from a study Bible. We talked about some with Tim, already any others that come to your mind? I've I've always been a, a fan of the um, NT Write for Everyone series, um, and it just kind of walks through things really simply, um, and um, just kind of gives you a lot of the context that you need to understand what's happening in the text. And he's an excellent writer. Yeah. He's so easy yeah. to read, and it's based on a breadth and depth of right. knowledge, even though it is written to be accessible. Yeah. And, and the thing, the, that's one of the things that I appreciate the most about his stuff is that, you know, he's a world-class scholar, but at the same time, he's able to write in a way that anybody can understand. And so sometimes he's got these big, massive scholarly books with tons of footnotes, but then he's got these other things that are more devotional that are really helpful just for ordinary Christians who don't have a lot of the academic training that they need to maybe understand some of his heftier stuff. Sure. Anybody else? Yeah, I would probably add New American Commentary to that, um, it, which is a little bit more academic leaning, but also um, has has a section on application in every passage. So Yeah, a, a couple that I look to a lot in planning content for Bible Study Magazine, um, one is the NIV Application Commentary Series. Um, that one's really, um, it's got a good mix of kind of more the the scholarship, but also woven in with a lot of application and, and um, kind of personal material as well. 
Um, and then another series that does the same thing is the Two Horizons commentary series. There are so many options, and I think yeah. everyone we've mentioned is available in Logos. I find all reference material easiest to use in software. So I'm not flipping as many pages. The software opens right to the page in every single one of these resources that I want to look at. Okay, moving on then. Let's just get it more general, though. What, can you think of any other tools that helped you as a beginning Bible student? And I will start. We didn't actually say this. We kind of got close to it. I bought a comparative study Bible, a paper Bible that had four different translations in different columns. Nowadays, I probably would do that in Logos Bible software, but that was just a massive, massive help to me. I mentioned study Bibles that I used uh, when I talked with Tim. How about you? What tools in general helped you as a beginning Bible student? Growing up, my family had the I think the title was NIV Exhaustive Concordance, uh, which used Strong's numbers, and it was exhaustive just in the sense of carrying it around. <laughs> it was a, a massive book. It was a Bible study tool and a workout. Yeah, exactly. And how did you use it? What, what, what did you find valuable? Um, badly. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, my, my exegetical method would be to look up a word and find the Strong's number and then look at all of the, the English translations of, of that Strong's number, that, uh, that Greek or Hebrew word, and then say, okay, well, this must be the main meaning or, or else uh, this, is, you know, this is what I want it to mean in this passage, which is exactly the wrong thing to do in a word study. So you're down on yourself, Adam. And yes, there are exegetical fallacies out there that uh, everybody's going to stumble into, but you made a major advance by doing that. That is so healthy for Bible study. You realized that the English is not the be all and end all, that this is a translation and you were accessing even, okay, without the full sophistication that you have now, you were accessing the original languages. And I think that is a step in the right direction for every Bible student. Any other resources for beginners you'd recommend? Yeah. I I'd throw out um, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by mm -hmm. Gordon Fee and Douglas mm -hmm. Stewart. Yep. Um, that's book, it's been around for a while now, but it's still one of the best resources out there just to kind of help you understand how do I even read the Bible? Like, like what is this book and, you know, how am I supposed to get into it? Um, another great resource is the companion to that, which is called, let me get this right, How to Read the Bible Book by Book. And that one just kind of walks you through, like it says, book by book, and has a little setup that you can read. Like if you're starting to study Isaiah, you can read, you know, I don't know if it's five or ten pages um, about Isaiah that just kind of helps you understand where Isaiah is coming from and, you know, what to look for as you read. We've given a lot of recommendations here, and that's what I wanted to do. And maybe the overall message, even if someone didn't write all these recommendations down, is there is so much good stuff. The Christian church <laughs> in the English-speaking world, yes, okay, Maybe um, it's because of market forces that we have so much stuff, but I just can't complain when what the, the end result is. I, I always have someone who can help me whenever I've got a Bible question. I, I'm so grateful to the Lord for that. Let's end with a little anecdote from somebody or several somebodies answering the question I asked Tim Chelles. I'm really interested in this. Have you seen someone go from zero to 60, zero to 100, or have you, you can tell your own story too, in Bible study? Uh, tell me this actually happens. People actually make a difference in their lives by reading the Bible and studying it carefully. Oh yeah. I mean, I haven't, this, I have a, a mentor at my church and so she's, you know, the age of my grandparents. So I haven't seen firsthand her Bible study journey going from zero to 60, as you said. More like 55 um, to 60. Right, right, right. But just hearing her tell her own story and seeing where she is with her Bible study now, she's not someone who's been to seminary and you know, knows the original languages well and all this stuff. But she is so observant about the Bible and has clearly spent so much time with it. And you ask her any question and she's like, I, she has these flashcards she makes. She like, yeah, we'll look up the, the Strong's numbers and like find all the verses and then like just sits and meditates on the similarities and differences and what God is trying to tell her through the word and yeah, she's clearly just someone who has spent so much time steeped in scripture that um, I think that's a real inspiration that you can do it. You know, it's it's a book that you can get to know if you spend the time. Abigail says you can do it. You and we do all it. say together, do it. <laughs> do it. Do it. There are so many riches there. I mentioned my father-in-law. He was a young man with a young family in his early 30s and had essentially no religious background. You know, the basic 
religiosity that was sort of expected of Americans at that time. Um, and they started looking for something to make their kids behave. <laughs> uh, and religious people came knocking on their door and that got them going in uh, one direction. And then uh, they ran into somebody who knew the Bible and that got them going in a biblical direction. And my father-in-law, an engineer who likes to have all his ducks in a row, really understand things, just threw himself into careful Bible study. And along the time I met him when I was trying to marry his daughter, and ultimately I'm so glad I successfully did, he kept asking me questions like, you know, what do they teach at your seminary about this or that topic? And invariably, I would find that, like, in my judgment, he was right. <laughs> Whatever position he was taking was really careful, and he just doubted himself because he wasn't a professional, he wasn't in seminary. But I've always uh, drawn such inspiration from a man who was converted from zero Bible knowledge to um, answering humbly and carefully, you know, any good question you put to him about the Bible, he'll he'll go back and know the passages, just like the woman in your church. Do it, do it, do it. Everybody out there who's listening, you can do it. We've got some resources to help you. There are many others. Go to your church. They've got resources for you there too. And uh, if we can serve you in any way with the Bible Study Magazine and all of its resources, that's available for you. Do it, do it, do it. Thanks for coming on the Bible Study Magazine podcast, Abby, David, and Adam. Thank, Thank you, you, Mark. Thank you. Support for the Bible Study Magazine podcast comes from Logos Bible Software. Start a better, deeper Bible study experience with Logos 8 Fundamentals. Explore scripture more thoroughly than you ever imagined with Factbook, an encyclopedia of biblical places, people, and events. Workflows that walk you step-by-step -step through your Bible study. Notes and highlights, powerful and integrated note-taking capabilities for insights, ideas, and questions available in your Logos digital library, and much more. Learn more about Logos 8 fundamentals and how it will transform your Bible study at logos.com fundamentals. You've been listening to the Bible Study Magazine podcast. Our producer is Kaylee Joyce. Our audio technicians are Brandon Van Beek and Jack Underwood. And I am your host, Mark Ward, academic editor at Lexham Press, a division of Faith Life, makers of Logos Bible Software. I hope you'll subscribe to the Bible Study Magazine podcast, whether you are a beginner in Bible study or someone more advanced who is looking for help helping beginners. We've got something for you, whoever you are. Thanks for joining us.